welcome to Coaching Kids Curling, a podcast for youth curling coaches and program organizers. I'm Glenn Gabriel, a certified curling coach who lives in Pickering, Ontario, Canada. My mission is to give you the advice, resources, and inspiration you need to make your program better. Jen Ferris is the manager of programs and operations for the Ontario Curling Council. She joins me to discuss three important issues for youth curling organizers, safe sport, the rule of two, and Rowan's Law. Jen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Glenn. Well, Jen, you presented a session at the at the Adapting Thriving Coaches Conference, uh, and it had to do with a couple of topics that I think all youth coaches and program organizers should be aware of. And uh, there were three topics, generally speaking, you discussed, and, and I was aware of two of them, and we'll discuss them later, the Rule of Two and Rowan's Law. But I wanted to ask you first about the idea of safe sport. Uh, could you just broadly, in a broad sense, tell us what safe sport is and and why it's important to youth curling coaches and organizers? Sure. So safe sport has become a bit of a focus at the federal level. Uh, it was it was accelerated or or perhaps. Um, focused on in 2019 due to a very damaging report that came out uh, from CBC News uh, citing the fact that over the last 20 years, there had been hundreds of coaches in different sports who have been uh, convicted of abusing uh, children and, and, and not even just children, just athletes. So the federal government took it upon themselves to institute what we call safe sport, uh, which is a mandatory uh, activity at the national sport level um, where uh, efforts have to be made to prevent and address abuse in sport. So um, this has been generally implemented at the national level. It's actually a mandatory activity as part of their Sport Canada funding. Um, but gener- but in curling, we've recognized that it's just a best practice. And, and we in Ontario have uh, full out embraced um, the concept of it um, because no, no kid or adult or any participant should enter sport and be subject to abuse or harassment. So uh, basically, safe sport is uh, the prevention and addressing, or the in, in addressing and preventing uh, a maltreatment, which is essentially uh, abuse in in multiple different levels um, in 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 sport. And so, yeah. Then there's the term safety in sport, which is more of the injury prevention. Um, and management uh, versus uh, abuse management. At the session, you also brought up. I don't think the appro- I don't know what the appropriate term is. I don't think it's legislation. It's a policy, maybe that you referred to as the code. Uh, could you talk a little about the code and and what that uh, what that has to do with safe sport? 
For sure. So the universal code of conduct to address and prevent maltreatment in sport is the final set of definitions that has been created by a federal task force, um, which has involved many multi-sport agencies and different and specific sport agencies. Um, and it's basically um, a set of definitions that everybody has agreed upon and therefore uh, policies can be built around it. So one of the requirements of nationally funded sport organizations was that all of their safe sport policies are inclusive of the definitions involved in the universal code of conduct. So uh, that's what this universal code of conduct to prevent and address maltreatment in sport. It's a, it's a mouthful. So people call it the universal code. They'll call it uh, the UCCMS. Um, but basically it's a common set of guidelines that we're all going to play by um, so that uh, participants in sport, whatever level they might be, uh, parents, officials, coaches, athletes, everybody kind of knows where the boundaries are for all sport. Oh, no, thank you, Jen. I, I know that's a, a mouthful. And, and I just brought up the, uh, the policy up on my computer. It's like 16 pages, but it's really important. I mean, obviously, we wouldn't be discussing it if it wasn't. Uh, I want to sort of focus on the listeners and, and what they might have to consider as we move forward. And hopefully we have a season in the 2021-22 season. As someone who runs a youth program, whether that's Little Rocks or U15, 18, U21, what, what do we need to know at a club level, at, at a program level, board level? What, what do we need to know as we move forward? Yeah, so this is... Um it's tricky because we know that curling clubs operate as their own somewhat independent businesses. And, and it's really hard for uh, governing bodies such as uh, provincial sport organizations and national sport organizations to govern at that club level. So we're going to have to rely on local clubs and, and often the catalysts behind that are coaches uh, to do something about implementing policy within their own clubs and then therefore, and then following the policy. So Curling Canada and the organizations in Ontario have created a set of templates and po policy templates that a club could adopt and, and implement. Um, and, and part of that is, is just things like a code of conduct and a social media policy uh, a screening policy to make sure that the people who are uh, engaged in delivering programming within their own clubs are vetted, right? So as a, as a local coach um, or somebody who perhaps might sit on a board of directors, I would be looking to make sure that my policies are up to date and that we're actually following them. So we're looking for best practices such as uh, making sure that the rule of two, we've alluded to what's called the rule of two, making sure that that's actually followed within our clubs, making sure our um, our coaches within our programs, uh, both youth and adult programs, have had criminal record checks, making sure that the board of governors or board of directors, I'm sorry, are actually aware of 
what is in the Universal Code of Conduct, right? There's a lot of practices I think that people look back on and, um, you know, they reflect on their own personal behaviors as coaches. And I think some of them are surprised that they fall as, as forms of abuse within uh, the code of conduct. So something, for example, if a, if a kid shows up late for practice and you make them do an extra, you know, push up, or you make them do extra push ups or laps around the building or whatever, using exercise as a form of punishment can actually uh, be deemed as is a, a, a of as a, a abuse now. So um, it's just getting to know what's in there. And then the other thing I just I want to make sure that coaches. Um, do is basically they act. So if they see a form of abuse happening, they either address it formally or informally. So you go up and you have a conversation with a fellow coach and say, hey, I don't know if you know, but you can't do that anymore. Or if it's very serious, they bring it to um, authorities. So whether it be that be club authorities or, you know, legal authorities or perhaps a governing body, um, we need people to act to prevent it. Absolutely, Jen. When you had uh, that session at the conference, there were some forms of maltreatment that I, I wasn't even thinking of, or they weren't primary and off the top of my head. Things like withholding feedback. Yeah, until you said that, and and other things, you know, these are things that until you're aware of them, you're not looking for. So, uh, mm-hmm. I know at the end of our our discussion here that. I'm going to ask you for different resources or different places people can go for that information. But uh, if it's okay with you, I'd like to touch on one of the topics you you brought up, which was the the rule of two. For the listeners who might not be familiar with that uh, policy, could you briefly explain it? Yeah, so the rule of two is, uh, it's not new to, it's not new in that um, other service agencies have been using it for years, such as, um, you know, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, um, those kind of agencies, right? But rule of two basically means no adult should be alone with a child uh, ever, right? You know, obviously, if it's your your own kid and you're a parent coach, that's a little bit different. But you should always conduct yourself in an open and observable environment. So that means uh, people can see what you're doing and hear what you're doing. If you have to close the door and hide it from somebody else, you shouldn't be doing it. Um, That also means things like not transporting kids alone in a vehicle, uh, not entering a hotel room, um, you know, making sure that somebody else is there who could intervene uh, and or protect uh, a child or a participant. So when I speak of participants, it could, could also be adults, right? So, you know, abuse doesn't just happen to minors, right? We're looking always to protect minors, but there are other vulnerable athletes um, who we, we definitely want to make sure we're protecting as well. So yeah, it's just the rule of two ideally would mean you would have two uh, NCCP uh, certified and screened adults with one athlete, at least. That's the gold standard. It's not always possible. Um, there's some variations that kind of make the rule a little bit more acceptable, meaning, you know, maybe it's, this, it's a screened adult in a trained NCCP coach with an athlete. Um, maybe it's one coach who's trained and screened with two athletes or, or multiple athletes, but never, ever, ever should a, should an athlete and a coach be alone together. 
Well, Jen, I'm, I'm going to give you a scenario that is pretty common in my program. I, I run a Little Rocks program. And I, to be honest with you, over the years, I've thought about the best way to to tackle it. <laughs> I, I think we've been using a variation of the rule of two, but in that we don't let a coach and a kid alone by themselves uh, that's out of sight of anyone else, in, like, you know, in an isolated position. But during a practice, inevitably, you'll have kids who want to go to the bathroom. And, mm-hmm. you know, in some cases, you have to take them because they're either too young or they don't know where it is. You know, the way we've done it is, yeah, like, we've had the adult bring the kid to the bathroom. But, you know, there's, there's sort of a clear sight line to the bathroom, for lack of yep. a better word. No, that's fair. Yeah. So, so the coach is waiting outside. We can see the coach through the window and the kids in the bathroom. So, right. yeah, I guess one of the obstacles maybe to the rule of two is that you don't have enough people sometimes. So yeah. the situation I just sort of explained to you is, would you have any feedback on that? No, I think you just, you want to use common sense, right? And, you know, providing the, the coaches outside of the bathroom, um, I think that's that's important. I think making sure that there's opposite gender uh, adults available as well to right. assist. So um, generally one of the adults, you know, I, I, I think often about this with a, a curling team who travels, you've got a, a team of four girls, um, often coached by a male, because um, we know that it's, you know, coaching, the field of coaching is usually male dominated, right? And they pile in a car and they travel halfway across the province and they stay in a hotel and they compete all weekend. And, um, you know, I, I, have been one of those kids. I've been sent along in a car, you know, my parents know where to be found because it was half a, half a day's drive away. Right. So, right. um, that has happened. So now we have to be a little more conscious of that. It's like, okay, now we're going to have a female parent of one of those athletes tag along as well in the car to make sure that everything's on the up and up. Right. And, and I, I think, I think in your, your particular situation, um, you're doing, you're doing things with an eye to safety. So that's exactly what you want to be doing, right? I would be more concerned if the coach was waiting inside the bathroom and couldn't be seen, obviously, right? Because in my mind, that coach isn't alone with that athlete if they're standing outside the door, right? You're doing what you have to do to, to look after the, that athlete's needs. But, um, you know, it would almost be worse to say, sorry, you have to keep curling and you can't use the washroom because that's, you know, that's a form of abuse, right? To say you can't go and and look after your bodily, your body, right? So it's, um, it's, it's being realistic. And we get the argument often about not enough numbers. Um, You know, we, we have a relatively small or, you know, coach to athlete ratio already. So adding another adult is, is tricky, right? So, um, you have to get creative with how you do that, right? Like if you absolutely have to drive in a car with some kid, um, you know, the kid goes in the back seat and you call somebody on a cell phone and you keep the line open during the drive, right? Like that's an example of how you could mitigate um, a bad situation, right? You know, sometimes you're stuck. I, I'll admit, like there have been times where I've had to drive kids home and 
uh, yeah, like there's no other option. (laughs) Like it's abuse to leave them at the club by themselves with no one around. So you do your best. And, and the idea with the phone line is, is a great one. And I think so not that you want to use that all the time, but if you had to in a pinch, maybe that's an option. So thanks, Jen. Uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was something we're really familiar with. If you coach or run a youth program in Ontario, which is Rowan's law. And of course, that's the concussion awareness slash uh, concussion procedures, code of conduct that uh, all programs, all clubs in Ontario, not just curling, but all sports have had to uh, implement in the last couple of years. I know that that season we just ended before the pandemic. That was the first season where we got our parents and our kids to go through those materials. Uh, are, are there any updates with that uh, particular policy? And for those of people who are listening, they're across the country. They have similar concussion uh, procedures. Uh, yeah, what, what's the update? So um, it was actually supposed to be Jan- or July first, twenty twenty, when the second, or I guess it was the third phase of the legislation was implemented. But because of the pandemic and the stressors that were on am- the amateur sports system. The implementation of the third phase has been put off until July 1st, 2021. Um, I have no indication that that's going to be delayed yet further. So we're trying to prepare clubs and coaches um, to be ready for the the third uh, phase of the legislation implementation. So what that means, uh, clubs should already be already have a concussion code of conduct. Um, which is a, basically a templated document uh, that they would implement within their policy. And they should already be verifying that all the participants in their program age 26 and under have reviewed the mandatory concussion awareness training. Um, but what's new for July 1st, 2021, is that um, all sport organizations need to... Um, have a return, a removal from play and a return to play protocol implemented within their uh, concussion policies. So what that is, is it's a set of um, signs and symptoms that if a person uh, who's deemed what's called the designated person uh, observes, they, they have a, a legislative or a legal right to remove them from the field of play uh, and potentially send them right to hospital. Um, So what that means is athletes who have sustained a head injury should not be resuming play until they've been um, observed and and checked out by a medical professional. Uh, And if they have sustained a head injury, uh, they need to, they can only return to the field of play. And that that's not likely the same day, but only maybe return to your program or return to a team to compete if they have a clearance by a medical professional. Um, so what this means is every curling club needs to ensure that anytime somebody who's age 26 or under is on the ice, there is somebody who's deemed a, de- a designated person. So somebody who will act in the event of somebody getting hurt um, and take responsibility to assess that person's injuries, remove them from play, 
potentially refer them to the hospital or send them to the hospital, um, inform their uh, guardian if they're under the age of 18, um, and then ultimately fill out an incident report. And um, the club then also has to have a return to play procedure. So somebody within the club needs to make sure that that person's not resuming play until they've gotten that medical clearance that may or may not be the same person as the designated person. So it's scary. It's a big, hairy goal. Like uh, again, a big, hairy thing that a curling club needs to uh, figure out because there's often athletes age 26 and under involved in adult leagues. Um, It's easy to me for the junior leagues and the junior programs and whatnot, because somebody there is going to be in charge. Right. But it's where you have youth who are integrated within the play um, elsewhere in the club that it gets a little bit complicated. Yeah, I I agree that until this policy was first implemented and I heard about the 26 and under, like you can see it obviously for a youth program, but I mean, 26, you're talking about, yeah, adult leagues and, and all numbers of leagues. So, uh, but for the, I guess for the purposes of this conversation, though, I, I can tell you that one of our kids in the spring of 2020 actually had a head injury. And we had those policies and procedures in place. It wasn't perfect, but it, it, because we already sort of thought about it, at least we, she, we took her off the ice. We brought in an ambulance to look at her. The the parent was there. We we had to follow up and, and get a medical note. Uh, and, and just from my perspective, uh, as a piece of advice to other youth organizers, at at least think about it in advance and and think about what steps you take if some if a kid has a head injury. Uh, and this was one that I didn't even witness. This was one that my coaches brought to me. So just having all those, uh, having all those things in place, and and having that discussion beforehand is, is very helpful, at least from my perspective. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that concussions can still happen even if somebody's wearing a helmet. Absolutely. Right. So we know that um, helmets are helpful. Um, but the brain shear that can happen from an impact on ice still happens inside a helmet. It's the helmet usually helps protect against the skull fractures, right? And, right. and maybe some of the more serious injuries, but somebody's not bulletproof just because they're wearing a helmet, right? So, um, you know, this, the policy itself doesn't even really talk about um, injury prevention, Right. So we still know that, you know, double grippers and in that are in good condition, um, helmet use, you know, definitely age 12 and under, like those are all really good practices. But we know that the majority of head injuries that are happening and, you know, we're kind of data poor in this world because nobody collects this data. But we know that seniors and adults who are learned to curls or, you know, the rental leagues, things like that, those are some of the highest risk people. Um, So a club having this in place, although the legislation says they only need to have it for age 26 and under, would probably be very well suited to apply this to all of their members. Yeah, concussions can affect anybody. And uh, I mean, that might get us down a wormhole of another discussion in terms of 
giving everyone, making everyone wear a helmet, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now, (laughs) if that's okay, Jen. Oh, I'm totally fine with that. (laughs) Well, no, thanks for uh, joining me today. I I really appreciate it. And I know over the years, if before I continue, I just want to say thanks because you've always been a resource for me and a resource for other uh, curling coaches across the province. You're the you're the manager of program and programs and operations for the Ontario Curling Council. But you know, over the years, we've we've had lots of uh, discussions, and and you've helped me out. So so I want to thank you. Oh, thanks. No, thank you, and thanks for what you're doing here with this podcast. I think it's. It's one of the best ones on the topic of curling and I enjoy listening to it and hearing from all the coaches that you're able to, well, not even coaches, but program leaders across the country. I I love, I love how you're getting, like getting to network with all of them. And uh, it's fun to listen, to listen to you connect with all of those people. So thank you. You know, thanks, Jen. Yeah, this this podcast has given me an opportunity to connect with people I would have never connected with in the past. So uh, I'm looking forward to to year two of this. Uh, uh, Speaking of the topics, before I I let that go, I know there's lots of resources and and I'm sure you can direct people to them. Are there a couple that come to mind in terms of people who want to follow up on uh, Safe Sport, Rowan's Law, The Rule of Two? Yeah, for sure. So the Ontario Curling Council.com is our website. We have uh, uh, resources for um, clubs and for coaches there, obviously. Um, I'm, I might be a little biased, but I sat on a national task force to help develop the Coaching Association of Canada's Safe Sport Training Module. And if you're looking for a way to get familiar with the concepts of the UCCMS, that is a, it's a great one. Uh, certified coaches can receive uh, maintenance of certification points uh, for that one. It's free. It's, it's accessible through the locker. Uh, respect in sport is a good one still. Commit to kids. Uh, those are all, all uh, great resources. Um, head, making headway for concussion awareness is another Coaching Association of Canada free um, free module. Um, there's there's lots out there. Uh, I would just encourage people to get educated, regardless of where they get their education. Um, I just I, I just want more people to be aware. And you know, I'm on a mission right now. I have a I have a rule with Curling Canada as well. I'm their um, NCSPN, their Safe Sport. Uh, contractor. So my goal over the next year is to try to uh, make safe sport implementation, um, right, you know, make it easy for clubs to implement it and get educated. And I want every athlete and coach and parent to be aware, um, just aware, right? So they know when, when something's not right. Um, And then hopefully they'll, you know, together, we can all make the amateur sporting system safer, right? Yeah, it's it's absolutely a team effort, and I appreciate your efforts there, Jen. It's a big job, <laughs> for it lack is. of a better word. Uh, but uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, Jen, how can they do that? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, so in my Ontario role, um, I can be reached at Jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, at ontcurl.com. So Jennifer at ontcurl.com. I'm, I'm the best... I, I I respond to emails the best, probably. <laughs> so that's the best way. Okay. Well, Jen, again, thank you for joining me today and uh, and good luck. Yeah, thank you. So that was my interview with Jen. If you're a supporter of this podcast, I encourage you to follow our Twitter accounts, which is the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. One more time, the at symbol followed by 
Kids Curling. I'll also have that Twitter handle listed in today's show notes. This has been the Coaching Kids Curling Podcast. To reach me, Coach Glenn, please email coachingkidscurling at gmail.com. To follow this podcast for free, visit our website, coachingkidscurling.com. You can also find show notes and links to the resources mentioned in this episode and in previous episodes. The intro and outro music is Golden Sunrise by Josh Woodward. Thanks for listening. Good luck and good curling.